And we're going to look at verses 6 through 19. This is a uh, part 1, part 2, simply because of its length and all that's involved there. And it deals with a word that you never want to hear the Lord or a prophet say to you. Whoa, is Randy. That's bad, okay? (laughs) That is bad. Uh, Because typically that means judgment comes after that. And we we never want to hear that from the Lord. Um, Although sometimes our behaviors, as we'll see listed out here, um, deserve that. Sometimes it's, it's, you know, I can just see, and I'm projecting upon the Lord. I can just see him up there scratching his head going, why in the world did you do that again? Okay? Not, not you. you you'd never, you know, once is enough for all you. I'm just talking about me. Wendy, why did you do that again? You know better than that. Yeah, but I'm sinful. Enough sin remains in me that I wrestle with those things, as most everybody does. Well, here we're going to see a terrible judgment come upon a nation, and it is broad enough to apply to any of us as well. So if you're able, would you stand with me as I prepare to read the Word of God. Our Heavenly Father, we ask that you would clear our minds and hearts, draw our attention to hear your Word that we might be enlivened, that our lives might be lived out in obedience to you, not in obedience to our own desires and our own flesh, but to that which is right and just and pure. Set our minds on those things. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So it's Habakkuk chapter 2, and I'm going to read uh, 6 through 19. You'll see that the the title there is Woe to the Chaldeans. Now, the Chaldeans, that's another word for Babylonians. Okay? Shall not all these take up their taunt against him with scoffing and riddles for him and say, Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own. For how long? And loads himself with pledges. Will not your debtors suddenly arise and those awake who will make you tremble? Then you will be spoiled for them. Because you have plundered many nations, all the remnant of the peoples shall plunder you for the blood of man and violence to the earth, the cities, and all who dwell in them. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. You have devised shame in your house by cutting off many peoples. You have forfeited your life for the stone will cry out from the wall and the beam from the woodwork respond. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Behold, it is not from the Lord of hosts that people labor merely for fire, and nations weary themselves for nothing. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you, and utter shame will come upon your glory. The violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you, as will the destruction of the beasts that terrified them. For the blood of man and the violence to the earth, to the cities and all who dwell in them. What profit is an idol when its maker has shaped it? 
a metal image, a teacher of lies, for its maker trust in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, Awake, to a silent stone, arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in it. This is God's inspired word for us today. So please be seated. Now the last two weeks we've examined what the life of faith looks like. So now we begin to look at the path of those who have no faith. And it's laid out for us in these five woes. And we're going to be looking at the first two today. That's verses 6 through uh, 11 in particular. The second, that's the first and second woe. The third woe is 12 through 14. The fourth woe is 5 through 17. 18 and 19 make up the last one. And then verse 20 is a reminder, after all of these woes are given to us, verse 20 is a reminder that God is sovereign even in the midst of this. He is in control, even though it doesn't seem like it, and he will bring judgment upon those who pursue idols. Now, when we started Habakkuk, I said it answers some pretty big questions for us. Uh, it doesn't seem like it until you get into it, and, and because Habakkuk is asking the Lord these things, and he's wrestling with what he sees is going on in the world, in the world around him in particular. So he's asked questions that, that we might ask. Is God listening to what I pray? Is he paying attention to what's going on around us? Does he care? And today's question is, is God fair? Is God fair? Now, I'm going to tell you the answer ahead of time. Yes, God is fair, but God is the one who defines what is fair. Now, now that is a hard lesson for us to learn. Um, we like to think that we understand what is fair, but I understand what is fair for Randy from Randy's eyes. Somebody ate the last chocolate ice donut, and I didn't get one again today. Okay, is that fair? It's probably good for me, but it's, is it fair? Okay, um, you know, I got a speeding ticket going the same speed that my wife only got a warning. That was not fair. Okay? Hmm. You can think of a lot of things that in your mind are not fair, but yet God is the one who defines fair. Remember the passage in Romans 8, all things work for the good of those who believe who are called according to his purposes who defines what is good god i would love to define what is good for me all the time because i think i know good things for randy but god is without sin he is righteous and he is perfect and he is holy and he brings those good things into my life that will help shape me for his purposes to mold me more in the form of jesus christ the same type of thing applies here Fairness is defined by God, who is without sin, who is righteous, who is pure. And I have to wrestle with that. And because there are a lot of things that come into our lives and we go, God, I, I just, I'm, not, I'm not very excited about this. I don't think this is right. Okay, you seem to be piling up these things on me, one right after another. We, we, we typically say, you know, bad things come in threes. Well, that's, that's a nice saying, but... Sometimes they come in fours and fives and sixes. And we just feel like we are drowning here. And, and we think, God, can't you, uh, is nobody else in need of shaping in the image of Christ? Can't you give some to somebody else? Do I need extra? Apparently, I do. 
Apparently I do. So previously, God has made some general statements that he would judge the Babylonians, the Chaldeans, for their sin and their actions against Judah. Now, it's interesting to know that um, God is using the Babylonians to judge the Judeans for their sin. But once he has used them in that capacity, then he will judge them for their sin. Okay, so... So it's more important to understand that the passage here highlights the sin of Babylon, but it also speaks to the sin of us. It is general enough to apply it that way. So we've all heard the phrase, no good deed goes unpunished. Okay, Usually that's kind of a sarcastic commentary about the frequency in which our acts of kindness kind of backfire on us. And it turns out that to... We wanted to do something nice, but then it's piled up and, and we get blamed for something, something like that. That statement goes all the way back to the 12th century. So it's been around quite a while. And, but the real theological statement was made in the 13th century by Thomas Aquinas uh, in one of his books. No evil deed goes unpunished by God the just judge. And he will do it in his perfect timing. And when does his perfect timing come? soon okay <laughs> soon god will judge evil and that's the main message of our passage woe to the wicked whether the wicked is babylon or whether the wicked is me god will bring judgment and punishment upon that it might be the consequences that i deserve because of my sinfulness um, now that that's apart from my salvation in christ we understand that but god sees the acts of the wicked and nobody escapes his wrath nobody escapes his wrath so when we read about these woes, we should learn what not to do because God is fair and he will judge wickedness, not according to our schedule, apparently. So Habakkuk has doubts about God's fairness, so that's why he's, he's wrestling with this. But God reaffirms that. He says, my justice will prevail in my perfect timing. There is a, uh, what we'll call a moral boomerang effect on the Babylonians. The Babylonians have been oppressors. They will be oppressed. They have been conquerors. They will be conquered. They have been arrogant. They will be humbled. Now, the root of all the sin of the Babylonians is pride. And pride is everywhere. We're not just here, but also in our society and even in our hearts. Uh, it takes all manner of shape and form. Um, the rich man might be proud of what he has. The poor man might find pride in not having anything and, and doing fine. Uh, the talented man, in pride in his talents. The religious man, pride in his religious religiosity, like the Pharisees, as we know. The unbeliever, maybe proud that he doesn't need God. Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon said, if there is a sin that is universal, it is this. Where is it not to be found? Hunt among the highest and the loftiest in the world, and you shall find it there. Then go and search among the poorest and the most miserable, and you shall find it there. There may be as much pride inside a beggar's rags as in a prince's robe, and a harlot may be as proud as a model of chastity. Pride is a strange creature. It never objects to its lodgings. It will live comfortably enough in a palace and is at ease in a hovel. Is there any man in whose heart pride does not lurk? 
And the answer would be no. He goes on to say, Satan can tell the praying brother to be proud of his ability to pray. The growing brother to be proud of his growth. And even the humble brother to be proud of his humility. I love that one. I mean, how am I supposed to say, yes, I'm working towards humility and, and I've finally reached humility. Let me tell you, I, am, I have reached humility. And, and immediately I'm boasting in the fact that I'm the humblest. And I'm not the humblest. It, it, you see the problem here. Let's look at two of these woes, okay? So that we, and we'll save the other three for next week. So remember, Habakkuk is shocked by God. He says, how can you do this? How can you raise the Babylonians up to judge us? They are no paragon of virtue. They're fully motivated for their own pride. They really don't care about you. So verse 5, we can got your Bibles still open. We can look back at that one. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol. Like death, he has never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples they conquered the surrounding nations in order to build up their own treasury to build up their own uh, number of slaves that they had to build up everything about themselves and in reality they're about to lose everything that they have worked so hard to build because God is going to use an even worse pagan nation to judge the Babylonians a group called the Medes and the Persians are going to come along and destroy Babylon relatively shortly so the coming judgment is described here for us in great detail each of the five woes identifies a specific sin that god is bringing judgment upon the babylonians for okay. so their greed has been manifest in in these different ways theft injustice violence exploitation um, idolatry and what did the greed profit them now remember this is what we call a taunt song, a taunt song. We see this a couple times in Scripture where those who are being subjected to oppression and things like that taunt their oppressors because God has told them that he will bring judgment upon them. So they are taunting the Babylonians even while the Babylonians hold this position of power over top of them. Look at verse 6. Shall not all these take up their taunt against him with scoffing and riddles for it? Okay. The song is directed to the Babylonians, but the Babylonians are never really mentioned specifically by name. Okay. But that's who it is directed towards. But they could be directed towards us if we have those same attitudes and do those same actions. So the first action, the first woe, Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own. It's called theft. Okay, Woe who steals. You think, oh, well, the sin of theft is, is a pretty big sin in Scripture. Now, the Babylonians are not stealing. They're not some international Robin Hood that steal from, from those who have and give to those who don't. They steal from those who have, and they keep it. They're building up their own treasuries, etc. As long as people have had... Some people have had something and some people have had less. There has been theft. Okay. Um, I remember we were in the, in the DR um, one year and I was riding in, this, in the back of a truck. That's how you get, get around a lot of times. And uh, a lot of the peop- guys from the Dominicans were eating out of these, you know, those uh, to-go 
styrofoam things because we had taught in the morning. The host church had fixed lunch. We all got on the bus. Off we went. And when they were done eating, they just took their stuff and threw it off the truck like that. Now, in our society, that's, that's pretty rude, and that'll get you a $200 fine if the police car is behind you. So I asked one of the pastors, I said, why do you do that? I mean, in the United States, we have these trash bins that, that you know, then they come and, and pick up the trash. Well, he began to explain it to me, you know, because I thought it was simple, but it's a lot more complex. To have a trash bin, you've got to have somebody to make the bin. Then you've got to have somebody to have a truck that can pick up the trash. Then you've got to have people to drive the truck to collect the, the trash out of the bin. Then they take it to the fill and put it in. And besides, he said, if I put a trash bin outside of my house, it won't be there in the morning. Because in our culture, somebody assumes I left it at the curb. They must want me to have it. Okay? That's, and so we don't have any trash bins. I said, okay, that makes sense. All right? So the Babylonians were seeing and they were taking. They were stealing. This is, I mean, the Ten Commandments devotes one of the commandments. Thou shalt not steal. Okay? Now, when we think about stealing, we think of breaking into somebody's house or robbing a bank or, you know, turning over the 7-Eleven, something like that. Most of us have probably never done that. Um, but we've stolen in, in various ways. And usually there's smaller ways that we don't even register as stealing. Okay? We might pad our expense account. We round it up to the nearest dollar. Um, we surf the Internet while we're supposed to be working. Okay? Yeah, I'm at Amazon. I'm looking for you know, a new grill or something like that. Um, we take a sick, day, a sick day when we, except we want to play golf. Um, we borrow something for, from our neighbor and we don't return it because it's just inconvenient. So when they come to get it, I'll give it to them. And they never come to get it because they're counting on you to return it. Okay? There's a huge problem of theft in most of our society. In 2021, companies lost a combined $94.5 billion to what they call shrink. Shrink is theft, shoplifting. It's also when uh, you drop the carton of eggs and break all the eggs and say you're very sorry and don't have to pay for them. That's, that all gets it thrown into shrink. And then you have some cities like Chicago and New York and Portland and most of the state of California that have decided that if you shoplift less than $950, it's not going to be a prosecutable crime. Okay? So what does that do? That gives me license to thieve, man. Okay? And then you see these videos of people coming in with garbage bags and just filling it up and... Okay, so that's why a lot of retailers are moving out of those cities because the amount of theft is so high. Now, we're not talking about Victor Hugo's character, Jean Valjean, who was stealing bread to feed his sister's family. Okay, we're talking about the type of theft where you have what I want and you're not looking, so you must want me to have it, so I take it. Okay, we steal because we believe we can gain an advantage. It's the essence of of not trusting God. Theft is, in effect, not trusting God. If you trust in the Lord, you don't need to be covetous of more, Matthew chapter 6. So without trust in God, you need to acquire more, and that becomes a burden. And when is enough? Enough. How much do you need? Just a little bit more, right? One dollar more. Isn't that what Rockefeller said or somebody? How much, how much was enough? Well, just another dollar. 
God's judgment. Let's look at verses 7 and 8. God's judgment upon the theft of the Babylonians. Will not your debtors suddenly rise? Those awake who will make you tremble, then you will be spoiled for them. Because you have plundered many nations, all the remnant of the peoples shall plunder you. Now, that Babylon had plundered many nations that no longer existed. They had absorbed them. But the nations that are around them are eventually going to be used by God to judge the Babylonians. Everything that they stole is going to be taken away from them. Jeremiah chapter 17 says, Like a partridge that hatches eggs it did not lay is the man who gains riches by unjust means. When his life is half gone, they will desert him, and in the end he will prove to be a fool. You may think that we gain some type of advantage when we steal. In reality, we never do. Proverbs chapter 10, ill-gotten treasures are of no value, but righteousness delivers from death. So when you steal from others to gain wealth for yourself, God says eventually you're going to lose it all. You're going to lose it all. The second woe, verses 9 and following, is injustice. Injustice, which is a lot like theft, but I'll make the distinction here in just a second. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. The injustice here is acquiring more by dishonest means. Not just by theft, but by dishonest means. So it adds deception to the theft. Woe to him who builds his house, who who gets evil gain for his house, to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. The sin here is treating others unjustly in order to gain security for yourself, to set his nest on high. By exploiting others, you think you can become so wealthy that you would be beyond the reach of problems, beyond the reach of ruin. We think in our society that no one is above the law. But in reality, there are people who seem not to get prosecuted for their wrongdoings. Why? Either because of their wealth or their power, their status, whatever it would be. They seem to not get what the rest of us get. The phrase, set his nest on high, we picture an eagle. An eagle and and, and an eerie. An eerie is an eagle's nest, usually up very high, set away from any of the predators. Not that an eagle has a predator, but anyone who, who would come for one of his eggs. So an eerie, a nest set on high. Babylon has committed such gross injustices so that they may become above everybody else and find safety and security in that high standing. They conquered cities. They've consumed people from foreign lands. They subjected them to forced labor. They plundered all their wealth, all in order to build those high walls. Remember what Nebuchadnezzar says, look what I have done. Stands up on his rooftop. I have built all this And what happens to him? He spends the next seven years eating grass like a cow. This has been the temptation for nations and for people even, as long as we've been around. Destroying the means of others so we can build up our own. Not necessarily stuff. Sometimes it's crushing the heart of others to make ourselves feel better. Crushing someone else in order that we may stand upon them and and think 
more highly of who we are. Putting someone down to make sure they know their place. Heaven forbid we would do that. We all long to be secure. We all long to be safe. And we're often tempted to treat others unfairly to make ourselves feel that way. But you have to remember that God is fair. And he pronounces a woe upon all who act unjustly. What is God's judgment here? Let's read a little bit more. You have devised shame for your house. By cutting off many peoples, you have forfeited your life. And here is part of the justice. The stone will cry out from the wall. The beam from the woodwork respond. We think about that. Well, what kind of justice is that? What you have built will cry out against your injustice. That's what he's talking about here. The walls, the beams of the houses and of the palaces they have built will cry out against them. The greedy man thinks in terms nothing but gain, and he ends up losing his soul. Remember the parable in Luke, Luke chapter 12. And he told them a parable. The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, well, what shall I do? I've got nowhere to store my crops. I know. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And said, fool, don't you know, on this very night, the Lord is going to come for you. What will you gain with all of that? So the one who lays up for himself treasures in this world is not rich at all. The real riches apply to the riches of God and knowing him. So Habakkuk wondered if God were going to judge the Babylonians for their sin. He says, is God fair? I mean, he's, he's judging us, but what about their sin? Is he going to judge them? In the first two woes, judgment, Lord says, judgment's going to fall on them. Don't worry. It is coming. And as we'll see next week, we'll see every judgment lines up exactly with the major sins the Babylonians were known for at that time. They're going to lose it all because they were seeking to build an empire for themselves and not for the glory of God. So those who, now, wealth and those, those things are not inherently bad, but when they become your God, then they're bad. Okay? When God takes second place to anything else, it becomes an idol in your life. God says their labor is only fuel for the fire. They exhaust themselves for nothing, for nothing. Jesus said, contrasting this, whoever wants to save his life must Lose it. You mean I have to die when I become a Christian? You're going to die to yourself. You're going to die to those old things, those old ways of doing things, those old ways of thinking, and begin to take on a new understanding of what the Lord will have for you. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? You know, the bumper sticker, he who dies with the most toys wins, right? You're still dead. They have died, and they left it all. God's way is to lose your life so that you can actually find it. Often, in a funeral of somebody I know who's, who's, a, who's a great believer, who's, whose depth of faith is great, we, we, we say, you know, Paul says to live is Christ and to die is gain. 
We think about that. Okay, if I'm living my life here as a believer, then to live as Christ, to die is even better than that? The person who has died to themselves, the person who lives only for Christ, they're the ones that are truly alive. Those of our brothers and sisters who have gone before us to meet the Lord, those of men and women of great faith, they are the actual ones who are alive. Yeah, to live is Christ, but to die is to be in the presence of the Lord and to really know what gain is. Life here cannot be found in thievery or injustice, building up ourselves at the cost of others. It's that strange dichotomy. It's found in dying to ourselves and living for someone else who has given his life for us. That's Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, these, these can be hard things for us. We live in a, in a world that is full of material things, and, and those aren't bad. But when our hearts become captive to them, then they become bad because they take us away from you. Lord, help us to understand the blessings that are here and to use them for your purposes, that we might find a greater joy in seeing how the blessings which you have bestowed upon us can be blessings to others, can be used to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ, can be used to show that grace and mercy that you've shown to us. Lord, help us to really live not to be captive to the material things and the the temporary things of this world, but to really find life in Christ and actually look forward to the gain once you have called us home. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.